If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, welcome to the apocalypse in the apocalypse. Uh, we still need money to um, host the website because the internet still exists even though you can't go outside. Uh, we need money to run our domain, things like that. Uh, and then also we just need money for shotguns, uh, home defense equipment. And also I've just been buying extra dogs so that I can go out for extra walks every day to walk each dog. Um, <laughs> holy water. So, remember? Oh yeah, and holy, holy water. water as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, if you can support us, I mean, I've run out of podcasts to listen to, so you know, let's keep podcasts going because what the fuck else are we going to do? Uh, you can go to Patreon. Now the worst part is there's just a, a ubiquity of podcasts now, but they're all total amateurs, at least with the decency to start this two years ago. Yeah, exactly. And get it established. Ridiculous. I mean, at least we're three white guys with opinions on music that started <laughs> doing this two and a half years ago. Uh, there's going to be so many more of us exactly. out there now, but we've got the head start. So keep us ahead of the race. Go to patreon.com forward slash unsungpod. Welcome to Unsung Podcast in the new fucking world that we live in. We are once again remote, uh, and yeah, how how are we all doing, guys? How are we doing? Uh, I'm fine. Yeah, I've been on this couch multiple times, <laughs> uh, three or four times. times. Uh, yeah, I'm okay. I guess I've been working from home for a week and a half now. Um, I'm not sure if I had coronavirus or not last week. I certainly felt pretty shite, so I was in full isolation. Um, and now we're all in full yeah, isolation. I'm in isolation so. now because mm-hmm. one of our mutual friends had it and I was out with him. And then the day after, he fell really quite unwell. He's been having breathing problems and stuff, so I've been in as well. Yeah. And, well, I, I'm also still in self-isolation uh, and I, I, I hope to, to be out of it next week. <laughs> sort of Tuesday next week. Uh, but I, I, I felt mostly fine. I had, I've had a bit of a cough, but I've been okay. Um, so I don't know if I've had it or maybe I'm mostly symptomatic. I don't know, but yeah. It's been shite. It's quite a time, isn't it? Maybe the fact that all three of us have had it suggests there's a fair bit of uh, psychosomatic illness going about. Could How be, could dare be. you suggest that we are not <laughs> mentally strong? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's probably true. 
<laughs> Mark, your uh, your static age episode went pretty well. You got your you got your wish. Yeah, I got got my wish, which was great because um, it deserved to be in there. Dave, did you listen to that record? Uh, I listened to the record a bit. I it's fun. I, yeah, I don't mind it. Cool. So we'll get three yeses then. <laughs> this is very diplomatic. I, I just I, I still I don't quite I don't quite get it. I enjoyed the the podcast more than the, I did the record to be honest. Oh. Yeah, Anna was Anna, great. Was good. Really good. I still feel bad that uh, I mean it performed okay, but obviously because of all the stuff that was going on at the time, the well, still is going on, but uh, it didn't get the listens it deserved. So yeah. maybe at some point during this, the disruption will be so extreme that we'll be able to put out one of those from the vault <laughs> episodes. Yeah, I think we. I think or we maybe, can count uh, that. Or maybe somebody in from Misfits will die or something. <laughs> 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 You know, it get, seems pretty that wee boost. <laughs> so speaking of dying, <laughs> um, what what are we doing this week, Dave? Oh uh, yeah, so we are doing Year of No White. It's um yeah, been a it's an album called Ausserwelt and uh, they're actually French not German but uh, Ausserwelt um, what does Ausserwelt mean? <laughs> I've not, I just realised I don't uh, know what it means other, it means other world other world yeah that's right I actually knew that so um, uh, yeah Year of No Light have been one of my favourite bands for about 10 years now um, since I first discovered oh no sorry them. you know what I'm giving you bullshit advice it means outside world not uh, like outer as an outer, not other. Outside so, world. Oh. Outside. Well, that's ironic, outside isn't world, it? Like Außerwelt. So, so that's yeah. a very ironic album to be doing right now. That is, yeah, But it's also, uh, yeah, after the um, apocalypse soundtrack of last week. I mean, this entire band's discography is the soundtrack to an apocalypse in many ways. Would you say so? Uh, yeah, I mean, this was horribly on the nose for strolling about. Yeah, recently. Yeah, it's actually today in my one jog of the day. <laughs> uh, I <laughs> I can't believe I'm obliged to jog <laughs> and shop once a day now, based on Boris Johnson's advice last night. <laughs> so many things to do in a day now: work, go to work, jog, shop, walk like, a dog. Never mm. been this social. Yeah. So on my one stroll out, it was a little bit creepy outside today, and um, I had this in my my ears, and yeah, it fits. It definitely fits. Mm -hmm. So I suppose we should do a little bit on the band, and then maybe a little bit on the because the, the, they are they're maybe the second post metal band that I've done after doing Cult of Luna. Yeah, but they also they they take quite a lot from Drone from Ambient, mm -hmm. uh, and on this record they start going into sludge and black metal as well so we'll maybe talk about drone a little bit um we kind of covered a little bit of drone with boris i guess yeah um but um we did that a wee bit with the interview with ben as well when we were talking about some of the experimental stuff yeah yeah absolutely have had either of you guys heard of these uh, of this band i had never heard of them before yes i've never heard of them before um they, they played here right uh a, a good while ago a while now. back yeah. I missed them um, but my yeah my friend went to see them in London and was just like brutally deafened by them but I've been I've been trying to get them to play in Glasgow again for like the last six years there was um, they tour of yeah, there was a very lightly there was a big spate of these sort of bands a big spate of kind of like a new wave of everyone from Baroness and like the band Monarch that one of these guys is in um, and they were I kind of in my head they're kind of like factored in with that whole new movement of uh, metal stuff mm -hmm. I think their big selling point was that they had two drummers right uh, yeah yeah um, for this record they, they well I'll start off they formed back in 2001 actually um, in Bordeaux in France um, Bordeaux and yeah they were always kind of a side project everybody else was in a bunch of bands inc including that band Monarch that you mentioned Uh, 
fingerprint. Yeah, like Monarch are from further down the coast. They're from like Bayonne, uh, which is kind of the French area of the Basque Country. Yeah. Um, so they they got a third guitarist, uh, Shiran Kadin, and he was in Monarch. Um, but some of the other projects, Metronome, Charisma, Altair Temple, Nexus Sun, Deja Mort, Aerofloat, Baron Ufo, uh, <laughs> and Donald Washington. Yeah. <laughs> Donald Washington is. Um, so, can I just say straight off the bat, mm-hmm. this is this weird situation where a side project was and still is far bigger than any of the main projects, right? Yeah, totally. Because With the possible exception of Monarch, which maybe at times got close, but. I mean, none of those other bands are bands that anyone's familiar with, really, yeah. outside of their very small circles. So this, certainly, when they started, it wasn't the top priority for any member of the band. But I think, basically, they recorded... They played local shows in Bordeaux. It was supposed to be an instrumental side project, but then they got in uh, Julian Perez in 2003 as a singer, kept playing a bunch of shows and recorded... Uh, a demo in 2004 they toured around France Spain the Basque Country did you see the descriptions of the demo as uh, The Cure playing Sludge yeah which I think is fucking brilliant actually and you can kind of see how that goes through right up until their latest stuff they are very aware of sort of gothic atmospheres um, big melodies and yeah you can definitely see, see that sort of romantic goth element of the Cure, um, but then also there was also, hugely yeah. heavy sludge elements. There was um, a kind of comments made about the fact that they, I think for a metal band, they seem to incorporate a lot of shoegies. For sure. So I think a lot of the melody came from that, from like My Bloody Valentine and all those kind of things. Yeah, there's well. a lot of yeah, that. Definitely. Just, a lot of that yeah. and a lot of guitar pedals, hmm. a lot of delay and distortion and echo and reverb and chords bouncing around within a room for a long time. But yeah, so they recorded their first record in 2005 um, in Geneva and it was released in 2006. It's called Nord. That was fairly successful in the sort of European metal circles. And got really good. Just to be clear, that's got full vocals in it. That's got yeah. almost black metal vocals at times. Yeah, it? totally. And do you know what? It's a really, really great record as a post-metal album. It takes cues off My Beloved Cult of Luna. It's got sort of Isis vibes, Neurosis vibes. Yeah. I think it stands fairly proudly amongst, um, you know, you can put it up against Pelican and stuff like that. It's pared down. It's got, you know, big riff, melody, builds and builds and they produced it themselves with uh, help from a guy called Serge Moratel the production on it is a little bit better when you listen to the next two records but I mean uh, you can see what they go for in terms of structures and just layers and layers and building and building there's a lot more sort of hardcore bits on the Nord record Um, there's a couple of songs that are kind of take you to some American hardcore and then also Swedish stuff like Breach and th- things like that a bit faster but I think I think I think the, there's definitely a Nordic vibe it's really barren really cold it's absolutely. really harsh in places hence the kind of black metal sort of touches that it has I like the fact that the vocals on it actually were quite quite settled down into the mix. You know, they're not. Oh yeah, they're definitely not the forefront. The like a yeah, they're not like a lead vocalist thing. Like even the, the the cover of it is quite well chosen. It's got a really monochrome um, design that's sort of in keeping with that sort of vaguely black metal vibe. And I, I saw a lot of parallels with some of Neurosis's work as well. Yeah, uh, which me and Mark mentioned in the last show. Um, there's a, I think the track in it that really jumped out to me was number three, which again, excuse my pronunciation, was it Traversier? Yeah, Traversier, Traversier. yeah. That was, that was particularly good, I thought, out of the rest of it. Yeah, I think, I mean, I... 
I think this got some really amazing moments of big heaviness and some also immense beauty on it. I think the production's a little bit thin at points, but it, aye, it shows that the band are really sort of doing stuff. And yeah, the standout tracks for me, yeah, definitely track three, Traversy. got like that big build up for five minutes then some vocals kick in and then after six minutes i mean yeah once again we're dealing with long songs here i think on nord it's got 10 tracks and they're all between like five and ten minutes long with a couple of ambient smaller tracks um i think track five lemon de l'empereur is also amazing the first four minutes are some of the heaviest that the band have ever done like real big sludge and then when it quietens down it's got like this just really beautiful hand-picked guitar breakdown sort of thing and then it builds and builds and builds we're going to repeat the word crescendo quite a lot repeat the word build repeat the word texture <laughs> um there's quite Sludge. a lot uh so can i just check sharan wasn't actually in the band at this point though was he uh no no he wasn't so this was just as a five piece of saben alban anule perez and saben so the drummer and the bassist are uh, brothers i believe track seven somnambule is also fantastic it's kind of like slow chuggy hefty drums and then just beautiful sleepwalking yeah. Somnambulate. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a, a great record. I think the sort of more straightforward hardcore bits don't quite work. Uh, I can see what they're doing. But uh, yeah, so that came out in 2006 and then they sort of, they toured around, they got invited to play like Roadburn and Hellfest, the big fancy metal festivals in Europe that I've always wanted to go to that are, you know, quite often curated as well. Anyway, the, the singer left in 2008 and then they brought in an extra drummer and then also another guitarist, I believe. So there, there were three guitars, one bass, two drummers. You should see like their live setup. It's loads and loads of big, huge soft tech amps and vintage synths and exciting stuff. So in 2009, they recorded Ausservelt and toured around. And yeah, that record was released. They toured with that band Altar of Plagues from Ireland, didn't they? Yeah, who are another band that I'd probably like to come back to. They're more, way more black metal, but sort of post-black metal and experimental and progressive. Uh, I think they are absolutely incredible. Um, they, uh, yeah, Year of No Light then, they worked on a live soundtrack to Vampire. which is a 1932 silent horror movie by Carl Dreher, the Danish director, and it's kind of seen as the sort of unsung version of Nosferatu, the more famous silent vampire movie. And yeah, so they kind of, it's weird, they, you know, they, they toured around the sort of heavy European circles. They went to the States at one point um, and did 11 dates, but you can still kind of see that they've never gone basically full time as a band because they've all got so many other things going on then in 2000 I don't even know how much of an infrastructure there was in France for that kind of music I mean if they sounded the way they sounded and they'd come out of Sweden or Norway or out of Georgia or out of Boston then you can kind of see that there would be a bit more of a scene for them to click into yeah um, absolutely you know and even though objectively if you put them up against a lot of these bands they hold their own sometimes it does it does make a difference what kind of what kind of movement you're part of not just what you sound like yeah and there's i mean there's a, there's certainly like a french black metal scene um at bands like blue out nord and celeste and stuff like that but the guys in you're in you have no light 
as you can hear from their music they don't really assign themselves to any genre or scene um so i feel like they they were probably never going to be guys that went along with you know the black metal crew or whatever or the um and i'm not really sure what yeah the the sludgy post-metal scene is like in france Um, yeah i also don't know how it works in terms of bordeaux as well because bordeaux is in in, you know in french terms it's kind of not the center of the music scene yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe if you've been in a band, a city like Lyon or or obviously Paris, mm-hmm. um, cities like that have such a kind of reputation for big musical movements. I I know bands from Bordeaux, but most of the bands I know from there are a bit artier, a bit more avant garde. Um, yeah, certainly. I, I can't really think of many other examples of bands from even that sort of west coast area of France that have this sound. Um, mm-hmm. And and again, geography even within just one country can can make a difference you know who is it you're playing with yeah you know totally. how many bands how many big bands are touring there as well because if you're a big band touring and you're getting big big supports it really kick starts you know if you so if you're a band like this from paris then every single big band is touring and playing in paris how many bands are touring and playing in bordeaux mm-hmm. probably still quite a few it's a big place but not as many you know yeah totally so yeah then in 2013 they released their third uh, full-length record, which is also the last so far, um, called Toxin. <laughs> it's spelled in such a yeah T O C S I N corny way. Toxin. I mean, if that had been a new metal record, we'd have been taking the piss. <laughs> um, and yeah, they've been they so they toured in the US in 2014. That included like two nights uh, uh, in New York in their own underground scene. They are well respected, but they've been pretty much quiet for the last five years. I keep seeing occasional glimpses on their social media of saying, "Oh, we're looking at maybe doing a tour next year," or they do a one-off festival appearance you know things like that they, they have done a bunch of uh, split records as well they've i mean they sound like they've failed to achieve that sort of critical mass i mean and maybe it's by design you know maybe they just never really wanted to put their lives on the back burner yeah, for totally. the sake of this band but they never got that momentum of being able to command such huge fees that it would become a full-time occupation or justify that yeah i, I know there was issues in one of their tours where they had to tour as a five instead of a six because one didn't have his visa sorted yeah that was and i think US, that suggests yeah. yeah it suggests maybe there's a lack of infrastructure around the band you know they maybe don't like because it's unlikely that would happen in a case where you had like full management and a full booking agency and all that behind you so it seems like they're probably still working on quite a small scale for things like that to happen and it just kind of suggests they've never quite got to that level or they maybe just never really wanted gave a shit to get to that level where it would overwhelm their lives and that that way and that's kind of makes them a wee bit more special in some ways i guess you know it feels a bit more personal and uh as you say you never know if it's going to come back around it's not like one of these bands that just does it yeah exactly you know like i've seen i love pelican but i've seen them about five times and they keep releasing records that you know their last one was great but you know i kind of lost track of the amount of albums that they've put out Whereas see the five, no five times you saw them yeah what, what, was the drummer good any of those five times uh, obviously not no but <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but you know, I, I know we've talked about the drummer in Pelican before but yeah it's it's weird that the last time I saw them actually was last year the classic grand and I, I was just watching the drummer for like the first three songs just going I don't understand how you can still be in yeah. this band. He, you know, so like, I mean, if you put Year of No Light in Pelican's place in Boston at the right, you know, at the right moment, oh yeah, you kind of get the feeling they would probably have done all right, you know, yeah, Tour absolutely, ISIS, that kind of thing, you know. But I have to say, Pelican did nail it in the end, just because they've got so many riffs and they power through, and they kind of work around the drummer <laughs> rather than, you know, get taken places, but. Um, drummer must have some really saucy pictures of the rest of the band. Well, uh, I think he's, is he not one of their drummer? Is he not one of their brothers? So I think it's a family act. Oh, that is the worst. I know. <laughs> but um, both the drummers in Year of No Light appear to be very good, or at least one of them is. Anyway, nobody's holding them back. Um, so yeah, I, I've gone for 2010's Ausserwelt. It was the first record I actually heard by them. I then went back and got Nord, which I really liked. 
It's got some really beautiful moments, as I've said, and it's got some great riffs on it. And then when Toxin came out, it was it was great. It was a great follow up. But for me, yeah, Ausarvelt just sort of has defined what this band could be, but also how good a band can be at taking about five of my favourite genres and putting them all into a blender and playing them at once because yeah um, they've also they've released Nord and Ausarvelt through Music Fear Satan on which is a vinyl but it's also obviously a Mogwai reference there I think like the Vampire soundtrack that you mentioned is the droniest one yeah so it's definitely there's not much song structure there and there's not as much percussion at all I've never, I've never actually watched it with the film, but I can imagine it works very well. That, that is definitely um, going down the ambient route and the textures and the the sound sort of the soundscapes rather than the, the songs. But yeah, it's it's kind of it's quite different from some of the earlier stuff, and it's 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 quite hypnotic. It's nice actually. A couple of times I listened to it, I drifted off, and that's not a criticism. I just actually was. Yeah, you know, close my eyes as I was listening. It's very patient and it kind of lulled me to sleep. Um, but I, I, I did, I did enjoy it. I mean, I, I think you chose the wrong album, quite frankly. Okay. I, I think, I think Toxins a much, much better album. Oh, interesting. Um, and I was, yeah, I was really quite, quite enjoying Toxin. Uh, I think Nord's fine. Nord sounds like a decent European sort of post metal band uh, bits of neurosis and stuff like that it's, it's good but it's very very derivative in, in the sense that it wears its influences on its sleeve and I think there's a lot of bands including neurosis and many others that we've mentioned over the course of the last couple of years yep. that have done that just as well if not better um, I, I, I feel you can hear that they've pushed in such a different direction for Ausserville and yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it in more detail, uh, but it sounds very basic to me and it feels like they made a lot of progress musically in terms of like construct of the, the, the songs, um, in terms of just a sense of like who they were and what they wanted to sound like mm-hmm. by, the, by the time they did Toxin. So yeah, I, I found Toxin a, a far, far more engaging album. I, th- I think it's actually really pretty good. Uh, stands, stands up. It's up there with a lot of the Cult of Luna records. Maybe not the best. Maybe not like Highway that kind of thing. But I think it's definitely up there. Yeah. With with the majority of the Cult of Luna records, even if it doesn't quite get to their peak. But they're a band that went professional. They're a band that sort of could just focus on nothing but that. And it doesn't sound like Euro No Light ever made that sort of professional leap. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I was a wee bit confused, so I'm I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear what you say about this one. I know that this one's really driven by the the, the idea of two drums and the idea of scale. Seems mm. like an album of scale. Like it's just they had these other bands. They were like, let's have a huge band with two drummers that's just big and simple. And the, the kind of the whole appeal is the scale of the noise and the spectacle and the size of it. I get that, but I think when you then reduce that down to a record. I find it quite underwhelming. Uh, it's sort of, it's it's sort of just sort of meanders, and I can hear how it would sound at volume. I can hear that that would be cool, and that the double drums would be cool, even though the drums often just follow each other. It's just a matter of them, you know. I think it, it there's a gimmickiness to that that I can, as a musician, I would love to. I love doing stuff like that. I've done uh-huh. that with my bands as well. We've invited second drummers in, and we've just had fun with that kind of thing. But it doesn't necessarily translate into the best records because you're too focused on the the novelty of it, and you're not focused enough on the music. Whereas I feel with Toxin. They're a band focused on the music. They've actually got a kind of more a typical lineup, and they're making use of their their components much better. And the songs just uh, the songs just seem a lot more focused and 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 less about that novelty. So that that was that was my my takeaway from it. Yeah, but, you know, I'm happy here. I mean, I do. I, I, I absolutely love Talks, and I think it's amazing. I think it's got it does have slightly more interesting movements to it. The arrangements are incredible. It goes heavy on the blast beats, but it goes, you know, really soft on the synth. I think there's just there's a little bit in the middle where it sort of feels to drag for me. Um, and I think there's a, a couple of parts at the end that there's some synth parts that just sound a little bit cheesy to me that at no point have they sounded cheesy before. I think it takes the sort of the atmosphere and the layered intensity of Ausserveld and builds on it.
adds even more atmosphere and piles in riffs. But I just, I to me, it just doesn't quite hold my attention as well as Outerveld, which I think is. A, Marco, do you think? I think uh, mm, I like both for pretty much the, the, the exact same reason uh, that you like the Toxin, Chris. Um, I, I like that it's a lot more focused, that it's, it feels like it's a band that's driven by trying to be songwriters, but I like yeah. I, I like Ausovel a lot because it just feels like they're trying to push the limits of what they can do, and yeah, it may not be as consistent on the whole, um, but I, admire, I think I admire Ausovel more as a kind of a I want to say statement, but statement's not the right word. Um, just as a as a piece in its own right, I think it works better for me. Yeah, I think it's more succinct. If we, if for eight minutes of you know droney post metal can be succinct, and I think it is a statement after Nord. The production is so much more massive. There's so many more layers, textures, bigger atmospheres happening throughout. Ausservel is like the stage where they went from being a good post-metal band to maybe being up in that top tier of post-metal bands and also going sort of beyond the genre. House of Elk sounds to me like the band I would go and I would really make a point of going to see at Art Tangent because that's their kind of festival but then I wouldn't buy the merch. Uh, okay. If you know what I mean. I really, really would love to see it live because of that drumming, because of the scale, the amps. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that whole aspect of it is really thrilling as a musician especially but... Uh, I, I think as a as a as a takeaway listen, I, I, I don't I feel it's it's quite beige. I, I don't no, that's that's overly harsh. I don't mean beige, but I do mean I think it's quite featureless and a little bit uh, passes me by a wee bit. Uh, for me, I just want to get lost in it. I just want to wash myself in it. I, I just love the sound of it so much. Yeah, I'm with you in um, that definitely. I I just yeah, I just want to sit with it for a while, you know, yeah. and just be immersed in it. Yeah. Oh, by the way, just see before we. Do analyze the album. Mm-hmm. You know, we never actually said the Year of No Light, which is a really cool name. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm not sure, uh, but I have a feeling they took that from a, a band from the nineties called Three Mile Pilot. Uh, Three Mile Pilot are one of these American kind of alternative indie bands that are weirdly popular in France with a lot of the underground French scene. Yep. So that would kind of tie in as well, and they had a track called Year of No Light. Okay. Also, coincidentally, they featured a member of Pinback and Mark, if you remember from last week's episode, they also featured the guy Paul Jenkins who plays the saw in the <laughs> position. <laughs> oh, there you so, are. Yeah, it's a small world. But I have a feeling that's where they got it. Uh, it seems a bit of a coincidence. And as I say, just friends in France are quite into Three Mile Pilot. They're just one of those bands that seem to click there with that underground scene, along with bands like Pinback. So that, that I would imagine that's mm-hmm. possibly a an explanation but it is a really cool name I like it I mean, it names. tells you what you're getting work as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean you, if I got a band Year of No Light you, you know exactly what's in the menu don't you yeah there's no not going to be any reggaeton dancehall here <laughs> <laughs> I have to say I, I don't uh, particularly like the artwork for Ausservert I think it's a, a wee bit I, I actually quite like the artwork for some of their other stuff but I, I, that one just is a little it's bit too on the nose a little bit goth maybe yeah, it's, yeah, it's too on the nose with the post metal thing. It's I prefer the stuff that's a wee bit more unconventional, has a bit more personality about it. There was a period; it's a bit like that period in sort of crossover electro stuff where everybody was using triangles and sort of polygons and things like yeah. that. Yeah, and it's like there was an era of post metal where everybody just had these sort of similar sort of monochrome. Yeah, symmetrical you know, like doomy. islands or yeah, like monuments was, on fire or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, just the, the the cover leaves me a bit cold. I find that a wee bit. The the know, textures yeah. of the grey are good though. I quite like the I like the overall look of the album. But then when you look at it more, yeah, I kind of I see what you mean. It's, but yeah, sorry, talk about the album, man. I, I'm, yeah, I'm so curious to hear your. Take so it starts it. off with a two parter actually, uh, track one and track two. So it's cut into four tracks, which are all about twelve minutes long. Uh, well, between ten and thirteen minutes long. Uh, first one is Persephone Anna. And so as, it's, as soon as it starts, you sort of, you can hear the chords opening up. You've got feedback, 
you've got synths, you've got drones in there. It all just expands and expands. And if you've come from Nord, you can hear that the production is already sounding absolutely massive. You've got layers and layers. You've got rooms and rooms of reverb and delay and feedback. And after about two minutes, the drums and bass and guitars all kick in. Like the big post-metal chord progressions, a whole genre built on these. So like the layers of distortion sound massive. You've got repeating refrains up further up the fretboard. You can see that they're using all three guitars properly. It's quite shoegazy. It's definitely like they are just loving the delay and the fuzz. And it's, yeah, I suppose it's like that weird mix of shoegaze and drone, which are both kind of like-minded bedfellows in many ways Mm -hmm. because they just want to make as much noise as possible. And it's kind of a primal thing. You know, it's about that huge soundscape of kind of beautiful noise. But then the band are pinned down by the bass and the guitar who drive through. So just, yeah, just as you think it's going to get massive or, you know, as massive as it's going to get, high guitars cut out and then it goes huge and heavy. bunch of stuff going on with the rhythm the bass line is doing 30 bpm the rhythm guitars are doing 60 then you've got snare and cymbals are doing about 240 (laughs) and then huge crescendo huge guitars coming back in and then it just knows when to stop lets you take it all in allows you to catch your breath for a little a couple of minutes with some big riffs and then another couple of minutes of ambience and then it sort of fades out and fades straight into persephone core if there's anything we need right now it's catching our breath by the way (laughs) well yeah that's true i actually i actually need to catch my breath because i talk so long about that song (laughs) give me a moment (coughs) i think i I really like the Um, the kind of the the guitars are kind of swirling it's like towards the end of that like in each channel it's kind of cool and there's like a weird kind of yeah totally effect which is awesome Yeah, they're nailing that I mean, I think panning and the stereo it, and everything is amazing on this. It's definitely interesting how beauty's in the eye of the beholder because the this stuff you guys are describing is not what I'm getting from that tune. I get something quite lumping and quite sort of plodding and that I really want it to do something unexpected and it never does anything unexpected. Mm-hmm. And I think from that I took that that whole project with the two drums was just that it was a kind of throwaway thing they were like let's not spend too much time worrying about making this the coolest smartest song in the world let's just have fun playing really loud with two drummers and as a result I feel it just it's just meandering post metal to me I, th- I, I, I don't guess bad but I, I, I don't think it does any of the kind of I, I don't see any of the majesty that you guys are describing at all yeah interesting yeah, very I, interesting. I just think it works perfectly and it's sort of how primal it is and it's yeah it's got that stripped back basic sludgy element to it but then the production around it just makes it sound so huge and majestic i kind of i love that tie and i love that movement and progression that it's taken from nord and it absolutely doesn't need the vocals as well i don't think then yeah in a part two persephone core coming out the drone guitars from both sides joining in yeah the bass once again is taking you up and down that sort of classic post-metal chord interval it's, it's uh, got like a yeah, at one point it's got this like really big generic sound and fuzz which I think 
yeah. could be doing without. To be honest, I like I like I like the kind of vibe of the song as well. Um, but when that yeah. it's a big heavy fuzz, it's like it's like it's straight straight out neurosis or something. But it's like neurosis like fucking fifteen years ago or something. So I totally I, th- I know where you are. It breaks with that big interlude riff. Yeah, and it kind of yeah. See, I, and and I find the phrase classic post metal progression a bit of a euphemism <laughs> for like totally totally being done. Now, I think in 2010, had it been done that often? I mean, yeah, well, I mean, Neurosis were 17 years into their post-metal journey in 2010. Yeah, yeah but uh, I don't know. I mean, as much as I like Neurosis, this appeals to me so much more because they're taking it kind of back to basics and then building on the sound. I don't know. I don't know. We'll talk about Neurosis more in depth at some point, I imagine. Um, and then it goes on to Hierophant- Hierophante 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 I'm going to say it's possibly my favourite non-cult of Luna post-metal <laughs> track <laughs> Um, the sound, the start of it sounds like it's aching almost, which I quite like. Yeah, um, I think the riffs, oh, it's just so big. The lead guitar is beautiful. Production is just so textured and layered throughout. The drums and melody coming in after three and a half minutes further adds add t- add intensity and at six minutes it all sort of just slows and it's just got this ridiculously lush distortion. And then, yeah, it slowly builds again getting faster getting faster drums go absolutely fucking mental both of them and then yeah just got finishes with your two minutes of ambience yeah I don't know I, I mean this appeals to what I want a band to sound like and I guess is true then beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Maybe there's something about particular chord progressions, particular guitar tones that I want to hear. And then this band are just absolutely ticking all these boxes for me on this record. And maybe if you like things slightly differently or whatever, then you don't quite get it as, as much as I do. Then yeah, then moves on to Abyss. dramatic guitar lines, huge drum fills blast beats finally getting some proper post black drone sludge metal, it's literally all my favourite genres at once (laughs) Um, it's kind of got a triumphant riff to it, big dramatic moments, then huge key change at 6 minutes, gets you where you're not expecting it And then at the end, it just is fucking huge, massive. Like to me, it sounds like wind blowing through some old Norse castle in the <laughs> middle of winter. Uh, and then, yeah, then it fades out. So, um, there's only so much you can describe this 
without actually hearing it. Um, but yeah, I, I guess, like, I understand where you're coming from, Chris, because I was kind of torn about going for Toxin because it is a bit more progressive. They do try a little bit more. But to me, Ausservelt was the record that took them from Nord, which was a, f- a fine post-metal record. They got rid of the singer. They beefed up the production so much. And it just, yeah, as I say, it takes so many of my boxes just in terms of sound, in terms of genre. It's drone, it's post-rock, it's sludge, it's black metal, it's doom all in one. Um, And I think it's just such a huge step up for the band and just really, yeah, took them up there in terms of quality to being, you know, up there on the sort of God level tier of post-metal with Luna and Isis and Pelican and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, I've talked about it before, but I just fucking love Dynamics. And it doesn't get much more quiet than the quiet bits on this, or quite so loud as the loud bits on this. For me, it's 48 minutes of perfect post-metal. But yeah, you can disagree with me, Chris, if you wish. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, <laughs> I think I would put it in because I'm going to say that either this or talk, would have been ha- I'd be happy with either. Um, and mm-hmm. we're probably not going to come back around again I don't think if, if, if this doesn't get in are we going to come back and talk about Toxin don't know um, I like both and I'd be happy with both I think they're a band that yeah they've obviously not hit the level of you know professionalism in terms of touring or what have you and you don't see them um, on the circuit as much as you should and not a lot of you know they don't have the, the profile of many post metal bands but I think in terms of quality, I think they've got one good record and two fantastic records for me. And live, I've heard reports that they are absolutely incredible. So yeah, if you're into this type of music, then I think you should be listening to this band. And I think for me, Ausevelt is their most succinctly perfect record. But I mean, if you want something a bit more progressive, then go to Toxin as well, because they're both great records. I think purely because of the format of the show, it's a no for me. I I don't think it's a particularly great record, but I do think I would have said yes to Toxin had you put that forward. So I want that on the record. But okay. it's a no with an asterisk that I just I think you picked the wrong album. Yeah, so no, that's fine. Uh, okay. Um, well, we've got a, a weird Nexus now, but I'm happy with it. Can we? I've got a, I've got an amazing Nexus amidst the chaos of this <laughs> week. I managed to pull pull together something really pretty special. Okay, excellent news. <laughs> This is the first time we're seeing Nexus tonight. Will it be the last? What do they have in store for us? Why am I here? You're in the Nexus. This is the Nexus. For you, this is what you want. Um, so who chose the Nexus? It was Jen Ho. So Jen chose the singing kettle. The singing kettle. <laughs> so, for those of you not of a Scottish persuasion, the singing kettle were an exceptionally famous um, youth music performance sort of thing. Um, Give it its genre title, Dave. Chichter Wainfolk. Chichter <laughs> Wainfolk. That's absolutely it. So, basically, every single kid between 1980 and about 2010 went to see the singing kettle at some point. Um, between the ages of three and seven and sang I saw them on the first tour it turns out if you first that, tour holy it? shit OG. I, I was five years old when they did their first tour yeah oh, that's amazing OG. so such classics as you can't fling your granny off a bus and other ones but yeah they're a hugely uh, Scottish institution so um, got to get from French post-black metal drone to uh, the singing kettle and I'll go first because it was my choice so uh, yeah I think I already talked about it they worked on uh, Vampire 
the Danish horror film from 1932, directed by Carl Theodor Dreyer. Uh, so, as I said, Vampire itself is kind of seen as an unsung vampire movie compared, you know, next to Nosferatu, which was its more well-known, but this is possibly the slightly superior version. The Eureka 2008 DVD release of Vampire uh, featured commentary from film director Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro? Yeah. Guillermo. Okay. Sorry. Guillermo. 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 Uh, best known for Pan's Labyrinth and Shape of Water and oh, Pacific Rim. That was a bad film. Oh, no. Uh, it's like Baron Transformers for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, that's true. But Baron Transformers. Have you guys still- heard of a film called Robot Jocks? <laughs> no. G- Is that Transformers? G-O- robot. <laughs> Seriously. Wow. Robot and then J O X. Have you heard of this? Uh, it's nope, the film nope. that Pacific Rim was basically based on or they kind of got their ideas from and it's in a world where war is outlawed and countries have to settle their conflicts via these giant robots that fight one they're allowed one each and so they all go into these big battles and uh, you should definitely look at it it's like a total cult sci-fi classic <laughs> yeah that sounds amazing <laughs> they totally ripped to off that. for that um so Guillermo del Toro uh, famously does like one English uh, language movie and then one Spanish language movie. His first English language movie was a film called Mimic, which is like a sci-fi horror film mm-hmm. uh, starring Mira Sorvino, Jeremy Northam, had Josh Brolin, F. Murray Abraham in it. Did anybody ever watch it? Yeah, it's, a pr- it's actually pretty scary. Yeah, yeah it's pretty solid. Um, anyway, well, yeah, one of the was stars was uh, Josh Brolin, who has been... Uh, he kind of just came out of nowhere, I remember, in the early 2000s. Uh, do you know what? It was because I never actually saw The Goonies when I was little, so I didn't really know of him until No Country for Old Men, really. But anyway, in 2015, he was in the film Sicario, which is a very good film. Mm-hmm. A shite sequel, but very good film. And one of the best parts of that is definitely the cinematography. Uh, it's an absolutely stunning looking film, and the cinematography was done by a Mr. Roger Deakin. Uh, Roger Deakins, sorry, who has fantastic white hair and blonde skin, and he's a uh, blonde skin, <laughs> dark tan skin. Uh, anyway, he recently did 1917, which uh, got him some Academy Awards, all, as well as Blade Runner 2014. Um, but one of his earlier films, he used to do a lot of Coen Brothers, and he worked mm-hmm. on Oh Brother, Where Art Thou as well. That sort of weird satire comedy based on the Odyssey uh, set in the Great Depression in Mississippi. The soundtrack to Old Brother Where Art Thou was um, done by T-Bone Bennett and featured loads of sort of uh, bluegrass and old folk music as well as some new stuff. And at one point, one of the musicians on that was a Louisiana musician called Dirk Powell. (laughs) Dirk Powell then later on worked for uh, on a soundtrack to something called One Last Chance, which was sort of early American folk music documentary i think and he worked on that with donald shaw who is a scottish musician founding member of the band capper Cayley, and also the creative director of celtic connections festival celtic connections festival uh every night of its uh run uh they have three weeks in glasgow all around they do a festival club from 10 a.m to 5 a.m four days a week and the Festival Club is hosted by Mr. Kevin McLeod, who is a lovely bald man, who is also one of the members of the Singing Kettle. There you go. Well, we got there. Sorry, <laughs> that was slow, but done. Chris, uh, Mark, all right, he's on <laughs> take a swing. Mark, you take a swing. Okay, then. so um, uh, one of the members of the Year of No Light. Uh, is it, how do we pronounce his name again? Sheeran Kaidan? Kaidan? Kidani? Oh. Anyway, he plays in a band called Monarch. Uh, and Monarch have played with a number of bands, including my, my beloved Baroness. Baroness have, have of course, uh, toured a whole bunch. Uh, and one time in Glasgow, they played with a band called First Temple of the Atom. Is that right, Chris? Uh, Baroness played with Titus, Titus Gain. Gain. There we go. And Titus Gain, two of the members of Titus Gain are in First Temple there of the Atom. There we go. See, I got, them, I got them the wrong way around. Um, but yeah, one of the members of Titus Gain, or first time with Adam, uh, is Eden Finley Walsh. And he, 
that Ian, yeah, Ian's in first yeah. temple of that. And he plays bass. He was also he was in a band called Lapsus. Oh Lander. yeah, that's how I, that's how I know his name. Now it all makes sense now. Uh, and then his her boyfriend, his girlfriend, sorry, is Jane Fisher of the band Fangs and Jane. No. <laughs> That's not even remotely true. <laughs> I mean, his wife will be raging yeah. if that is true. Um, no, uh, I believe uh, Ian drummed with Fangs. Ah, there we go. Uh, there we go. And, and <laughs> Fangs, Janison Fangs. Uh, Fangs were on, by the way, they were on uh, Orange Saturday morning TV. There was some kind of comp- band competition and it was the weirdest thing ever when I woke up on a Saturday morning to see Ian, the booker from Glasgow and a guy I've known for a long time, drumming on like a Saturday morning TV show uh, as part of this orange thing. It was extremely surreal. Anyway. Like, so I, it wasn't even like someone phoned me and told me to turn it on. I was just like, that, what is going on? That's there, shit. <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> the Fangs is headed up by Jane Fisher, who is the daughter of the, 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 the one of the founding members of uh, the singing kettle. And she was also and herself that is that bit is definitely true <laughs> yeah <laughs> fun fun all times right, for all cool. involved um, okay I've got a good one right but I'm going to do that thing that Dave does where sometimes I'm having to like refer between a bit of paper and my screen because this is this is a ripper so uh, and I think I've done a mark as well went, oh, went backwards like, yeah it, you, it, yeah I have gone backwards god damn it so now <laughs> I've not only got to do it referring between things but I've got to go backwards so oh my goodness this Surely this is the worst thing about coronavirus. <laughs> um, okay, so working backwards. Whew, here we go. Year of No Light. In 2011, did a live performance of a thing called the Monotone Symphony. The Monotone Symphony is a 20-minute single note full arrangement. But original written by a guy called Eve Klein, a French artist who we'll mention in a minute, and then it's followed by 20 minutes of silence. There have been various performances of it over the years. There's a really famous one from France. Oh, I'm trying to remember what year, sorry, maybe about 2001, something like that. And in that, it's basically just a full orchestra being conducted to play. A, a, it's, I think it's a D, so it ends up sounding like a D major because it's just a full orchestra playing this for 20 minutes and it's actually quite euphoric and it starts to really mess with you because you hear various kind of fluctuations in the wave and all these kind of things and then they just stop and when they stop there's 20 minutes of absolute silence that that goes on after it and it's like like an enforced silence where the note it feels like the note is still going because your ears are so used to it Um, now that was originally performed by Eve Klein it was only done once during his lifetime and when he did it it was during his like blue period he was an artist in in, uh, France and basically it was accompanied when he did it by three naked models smearing themselves in blue paint and rolling about on canvases that had been put on the floor and on the walls it's like reasonably famous you know it was a, a pretty pretty cool performance at the time he's classed in some of his other work with guys like Andy Warhol and stuff uh, Eve Klein's an interesting guy. He was, I think, the first person in Europe to get to like the fourth Dan in judo, total beast. And working backwards, he was also. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how how fully immersed in it he was, but he was basically part of the Rosicrucian faith. Do you know about Rosicrucianism? I do not, Dave. I uh, no, I don't know if I do. So. Rosicrucianism is a weird thing and it's actually weirdly associated with Scotland you see there's like a crucifix with a rose in the middle of it and the two two of the like major texts of it are called the, the original Scottish such and such and the something else such and such sorry I'm making a bit of a ham-fisted job because I'm trying to work backwards here but Rosicrucianism is basically like a it's like a combination of like occultism and then a bunch of other beliefs as well so it includes some Jewish mysticism uh, some Gnosticism and the other one Hermeticism and I think the secret part of it is that the members possess like a secret wisdom that was handed down to them from ancient times there's also a bit in it and in certain aspects of it about a castle in the sky with wheels but that bit I just do not have the time to go into it's pretty amazing that's the bit that's drawn my attention (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like I really wish I could go into more into depth on Rosicrucianism, but anyway, there's a, a one of many conspiracy theories about Shakespeare, uh, other than the fact that Francis Bacon was involved in the writing of his works, is that both Francis Bacon and Shakespeare were I don't know Rosicrucianists, I guess it would be. Uh, there's there's like a I mean, anyway, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a dark hole to go down, but basically there's a bunch of supposed evidence that Francis Bacon was a, a Rosicrucianist, uh, a Rosicrucian, whatever. So yeah, you can look that up if you want. It's it's fascinating. It's a fascinatingly weird religious uh, branch. 
But Shakespeare, as we know, wrote a play called Much Ado About Nothing. Okay. Uh, now, in oh, now what year would it have been? Uh, hang on while I try and work backwards. 1955 in the Brittle Theatre, which is, where is that? Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, an actress called Susan Cabot, is, or Cabot, C-A-B-O-T, uh, she, she performed in, in that play. I uh, can't remember the role that she did in it. Now, Susan Cabot had been in loads of films in the 50s and stuff. She'd been in like a bunch of westerns like Tomahawk, which is quite a famous one. Uh, she'd been in Gunsmoke, which is a really famous one as well. And then a bunch of B-movies. Uh, there's one called The Wasp Woman, I think. Yeah, loads of weird 50s. and I think, I think she stopped in the 50s, in fact. So like late 40s, early, early to the 50s films. Susan Cabot has such an interesting story right um, Susan Cabot was killed by her son alright Susan Cabot's son killed her with uh, like a weight lifting like a dumbbell bar bludgeoned her to death uh, her son had dwarfism he had pituitary gland problems and he also had CJD as in like Kreutzfeldt Jakob disease wow. <laughs> it gets more mental right now he claimed that she woke up in the night confused screaming for her mother Elizabeth and then attacked him with this dumbbell bar and a scalpel and he took the dumbbell bar off her <laughs> and beat her to death with it which is obviously what you do I mean that again is a fascinating story to go into he then also realised that people probably wouldn't believe that so he claimed that she was killed by a ninja <laughs> uh, or <laughs> or at least a person in a ninja mask which I think is still technically you're claiming that someone was a ninja now uh, her son god you know I can't remember the boy's name actually Timothy that's it I think his actual name was Timothy Scott Roman I don't know why he had a different name but Timothy Scott Roman was at some point in the process of the trial and the charges, his attorney came out and claimed that he was the son of Susan Cabot and King Hussein of Jordan, mm -hmm. who had uh, had an affair with her in the early 60s, supposedly. Right? King Hussein, this is me going backwards, King Hussein of Jordan, that's <laughs> a really interesting character. He was, first of all, the one that did the first democratic experiment in Jordan. Jordan is not a particularly uh, liberated society, but it, in the context of the Middle East, it likes to think it is, even though it, it, it's very oppressive. Uh, King Hussein was like, a big fan of motorbikes, though. Uh, he had like four different wives. He had two, at least two divorces and one wife that died in a helicopter crash. Um, uh, he was the guy that oversaw peace with Israel, finally between Jordan and Israel uh, all these different aspects of his reign were quite turbulent including pulling out of West Bank and all this kind of stuff uh, he was also apparently a very daring pilot uh, Henry Kissinger testified to that King Hussein of Jordan also claimed to be the 40th descendant of Muhammad. Uh, his son, Abdullah II, is now the 41st descendant of Muhammad and the, the ruler of Jordan. And the royal family of Jordan were entertained by a command performance by the singing kettle. <laughs> right? <laughs> there, 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 there are only, the big link right there. There are only two royal families in the world, the first obviously being the British royal family and weirdly the Jordanian royal family. And a command performance is where the royal family specifically requests a performance by this group. I have no idea why the, the, the Jordanian royal family are such a big fan of the singing kettle, but there you go. Fucking hell. That is impressive. That is, yeah. Great work. Wow. Well done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would have loved to have gone into Rosicrucianism and Susan Cabot in more detail, but yeah, we just don't have time. No, that's fair. Yep. yep. I mean, we do have time. We've got all the time in the world, but <laughs> I've got to go uh, make my dinner, yeah. actually. So, yeah. Um, um, right. So, well, thank you very yeah, much. So what we're we doing next the week? It's my choice. I'm going to take a swing at something and uh -huh. I'm going to say right out, right out the gate, the likeliest reason it won't get in is not because it's not amazing. <laughs> it's because it may not, it may not be unsung. Mm -hmm. But this, this guy, uh, there's a lot of difference of opinion about his best music. Mm -hmm. uh, his best works and I just want to put it to bed because for all the people that don't associate this album with his the peak of his career let's just get that out of the game so I've L2 chosen Meatloaf <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> so I've chosen Mule Variations by Tom Waits oh okay okay from his much more experimental less jazzy uh, anti period later mm -hmm. on um, I mean it is very highly regarded when you look on lists you'll see it near the top but it's often also you know fifth sixth and that kind of, and I just want to dispel that it's an amazing record and uh, I'm looking forward to talking about it and hang on two seconds and I will rummage about in here and get the 
Well, Tom waits for, for no man as we all know. Oh, there you go, eh? Okay, so the Nexus is by Andy Morrison and it's Wesley Two Scoops Berry. <laughs> Who's that? Who's that? Wesley Two Scoops Berry. Wesley Two Andy Scoops Berry is an American gladiator competitor from uh, the 90s. There we go then. Tom waits to Wesley Two Scoops Berry. Great. See you back here for that buzz. And by see you back here, I mean I'll be staring at the wall. (laughs) Yeah, see you back in our bedrooms (laughs) next week. All right, uh, go vote on facebook.com slash unsugpod for Ousterveld by Year of No Light. Uh, Mind and wash your hands. Stay safe, everybody. Don't go coughing on anyone. Don't go outside. (laughs) Don't go outside, really, apart from your one One jog day. Loud walk. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, as Mark will testify, uh, I don't know when it'll see the light of day. A radio show has been put on ice for the time being because the radio station is basically unreachable. Mm-hmm. But I recorded a fairly spectacular episode about guests with Will Luigi Pasquini, uh, and it is, it is. I mean, it is something to look forward to. So at the end of all this Corona nonsense, apart from the fact that you get to shag and go and eat pizza again, mm-hmm. you can also listen to me and a drunk Italian talk about Kiss. Oh, I'm buzzing for that. So good, so good. <laughs> all right, team. Stay safe, folks. See you later. Take care. Cheerio. Bye. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.